Hello listeners, welcome back to another podcast. This is the Doctor Speaking, dissecting the intersection between work and learning. Now, I have sort of a twin today that I'm having a conversation with. Yes, this person does what I do, but in Canada. Dan, hello. Hi, thanks for having me on the show. Now, listeners, you don't know this, but Dan's just had his second kid. So um, if you hear snoring any time during the interview, we will just let him sleep. Uh, we know that sleep is precious when you have a little baby in the house. Uh, in fact, he probably won't even know that he's doing this. He, he will think tomorrow, was I dreaming? And he'll have to, you know, he'll have to check his emails to check the recordings that this was actually the real thing. Dan, thank you so much. We appreciate you doing this. Um, and congratulations on your second kid. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's been... This is number two, like you said, yeah, he's, he's about six weeks old. The other one just turned two on Friday. Uh, so it's uh, it's it's busy, but it's a good busy and it keeps you on your toes. And they're just, you know, one's learning something new every day. The other one's just changing every single day. So <laughs> it's uh, it's good, but it's back to kind of be good. You know, I was on a little bit of a, a leave there uh, just to help out with with my wife and and having two now and adjusting to that routine. But it's good to get back into the world of work integrated learning and and jump on this show so yeah super appreciative for for having me so dan tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into uh the into the wild uh, podcast uh, you know give us a little bit of uh, background you know where you're from what are you doing uh, all those kind of kind of things yeah yeah absolutely um so yeah like originally you're born and raised in uh, niagara falls Ontario so a lot of a lot of people all over the world know Niagara Falls for being kind of that top tourist destination um not at, like when you live here you take it for granted and and you're kind of kind of jaded by the the whole built upness of it all but if you go I always say if you go if you live here and you go down and actually see Niagara Falls at like six o'clock in the morning you can really kind of take in that beauty but um so yeah I've lived in the region uh, my whole life uh, background is kind of in is in education so at one point you know got certified as a, a secondary school teacher uh, just didn't kind of pursue that as a career and then spun that into some some business uh, backgrounds and, and mathematics is kind of my my undergrad degree so it's a weird weird combination I always look at it and it's like how did I how did I get to here and like how did I end up doing this but I absolutely love it and uh, probably I'd say in about 2015, I started into the world of work integrated learning and experiential learning um, at Brock University, which is in St. Catharines, Ontario, in Canada, and uh, started working with our students and our faculty building building experiential learning into their courses. So it was it's for us at Brock, it, it was all very curricular in nature, at least the team that I was a part of. So really looking at how we embed it into the curriculum. We had a, a, a wealth of extracurricular activities as well. It was just a separate team that kind of oversaw that. So uh, me personally was doing this in originally in our math and science faculty. So, you know, all the areas that typically fall under that discipline, mathematics, biology, computer science, um, and then switched into our, our Goodman School of Business um, probably for the last five or so years before took a different route with with Sewell, which is um, 
Cooperative and Work Integrated Learning Canada, which is a national nonprofit. And I know we'll probably get into this a little bit, but um, nonprofit organization that oversees co-op and work integrated learning across the country. Um, so that's kind of my background. Again, it was it, it's all been curricular in nature. Um, and I guess if I have to pick like a type of work integrated learning that I'm most connected with, it does kind of fall into the service learning um, or the applied research project space. That's primarily the types of will that I was um, engaging with our students, with our faculty and with our community uh, in the Niagara region. That's brilliant. Uh, you're right. Quite often, I think when people are thinking uh, in a placement internships, they often think big corporates and companies. But of course, there's the service learning element where you you may just work with a community, community projects, you may work with charities. Um, so we'll explore that a little bit more. It will be an interesting thing to unpack, particularly what that looks like uh, in Canada. Now, you did mention Seawall, um, which is the Canadian uh, national organization that kind of facilitates work integrated learning. Um, tell us a little bit more about this, particularly for listeners maybe coming from Australia and they got ASEN or people in the UK who, you know, engage in, in different kinds of networks here. Yeah, and yeah, there's a number of them across the world and, and different countries have kind of a similar grouping of, of like-minded professionals and, and faculty that operate in this work integrated learning space. So it's, yeah, it's CWIL. Um, as I say, a cooperative education work integrated learning Canada you previously was CAFKI and it, the, the sole focus was on cooperative education. But as the narrative, at least in, in Canada, has evolved to put more, you know, put more emphasis on other types of work integrated learning, our organization evolved as well. So about since 2016, 2017, we set out to define nine types of work integrated learning that that we you know, put put a definition to we have members from all over the country and by members, I mean, practitioners at institutions, faculty members. Um, we have a good handful of, of members that come from industry and come from both nonprofit and corporate um, employers or partners that actively engage with student talent, whether that's through co-op or internships. So that makes up kind of our core all in. I think we're closing in on about 1600 members. Um, we've got north of 150 or so institutions that make that up. Um, and it is a good representation like coast to coast from colleges, universities, polytechnics. And end of the day, I mean, if you boil it down, it's it's a it's a networking group for professionals to meet other people in their field from other schools, from other parts of the country. Um, we host learning and development yeah, year round. We have conferences. We have a research series. We have different committees that that volunteers can get involved with. It, there's a lot going on, and and then we have you know government funded projects where we help get money into the hands of students at their schools doing will. That's a little bit newer. Some colleagues of mine that run that, um, and then kind of my portfolio with Seawill falls under the partnerships. So you know talking strategically, whether it's with government. Um, or government-like agencies as far as getting the narrative out about work integrated learning, different ways that you can engage with student talent. And then somewhere along there started hosting, yeah, my version of, of this kind of podcast and having these conversations with various guests or sometimes I kind of go on tangents about things that are that I'm passionate about or that I'm kind of seeing popping up in the world of, of work integrated learning. So that's, uh, that's Seawill in a very, very quick summary. Excellento. Um, the, the listeners may not be aware of this. I visited Canada in, oh gosh, I think it was 2016. So uh, uh, I was 
planning on meeting uh, the Brook University folk, but they, they weren't available on the day. But I've been to Kingston and Queens and Toronto and uh, up at um, Col Colton uh, and McGill as well, uh, which is further north. Um, we've also just had some visitors from Laval, University of Laval up in Quebec, and they do trade missions, uh, and we're, we're looking to do some work with them in terms of trade missions and so on, which again is another form of work integrated learning that uh, is probably not actually, I don't think I've ever heard of it in the UK, so a great opportunity for us. So in terms of you running the podcast uh, for Seawall, and of course, uh, we're chatting today because we're running an unconference, a global unconference starting in July. And we're very interested in the emerging issues, uh, particularly post-COVID, that seem to be coming out of the woodwork. And we want to be prepared. We want to be ready. We don't want to get caught off guard. In terms of you running your podcast and the conversations you're having, uh, particularly from a Canadian perspective, what are the emerging things you keep hearing uh, and that keep coming out in conversation? I think two that that dominate the narrative obviously is the labor situation um at least you know from a Canadian context not just applicable to students but I think you know any any worker in general that there is a, a significant labor shortage almost irrelevant of industry yes there's some industries that have been able to you know stay pretty stable in their their employment levels but a lot have been severely impacted and, you know you take where I'm from in Niagara Falls, for example, in the tourism and hospitality industry being hit quite hard, obviously healthcare as well. So when you trickle that down to, okay, what does that mean for students? And, and particularly whether it's co students looking for co-op work terms or internships, it's really starting to kind of change that narrative of what that means for a student who's in that kind of program, for practitioners who work in those offices, and maybe the way that we had become comfortable doing things for so long, uh, and, and they worked, you know, now we really need to look at those and think, what needs to change here? How fast do we need to change these? Uh, and is everybody on board? Or how do we, you know, how do we make sure that people who have been doing this for a good chunk of their their careers are comfortable? Because change is, you know, for the most part, terrifying for, for the majority of people. And it's it's not something that can just be done overnight, but it almost, it needs to be done quickly. Because um, you're starting to see students have a lot more choice, I think, in terms of where they work, how they work, much as much as they are with learning, right? How they learn, where they learn. Um, so changes to remote work, virtual, you know, employment, not having to relocate, which is good because if you start to unpack, well, what were the barriers in some of these? And that's, you know, that's been another recurring topic that I've talked to guests about is different barriers in work integrated learning. The other one is, is kind of skills driven. So, you know, whether you want to look at it as a skills framework or competency framework, and, and that kind of being the link now between students and the transition to industry, the technical side, I think, you know, I hear time and time again, the technical, there's no issues on the technical side, like, like students are coming out of these institutions very well equipped from a technical perspective, but it's some of these other skills, and I think they've often been labeled, you know, kind of soft skills, and I, I don't use that that term because it makes them sound like they're lesser by some means um so professional skills you know there's lots of different ways to refer to them that's really been where i've seen some focus emerging across the board of okay how do we have these conversations with students while they're in not just while they're in class but almost like while they're in a will experience how do you how do you sit down and kind of reflect in the moment of the skills that you're developing while you're developing them rather than I think leaving it. And I had I had a couple of talks with some guests 
the typical model is, well, we talk about that, you know, when you're ready to graduate or when you're trying to apply for that job. And then you have to think back three or four years of, okay, I did that thing in second year and I, I hated it at the time because it was so uncomfortable. It's like, well, there's probably a reason of why it was uncomfortable because you were being pushed and your skills were being developed at that time, but we just didn't stop and talk about it. So those are kind of two of the the top topics that, you know, just seem to kind of come out in different ways. And I've had a number of guests on those kind of, you know, over the last six or seven months since we started doing the show. It's a very interesting one. I was having a discussion with some students just recently, degree apprenticeships uh, in, in the UK. And I was mentioning to them, if you don't reflect on your skill development, because it was part of a module at the start of this, how are you going to map your journey? If you don't know what point A is, how are you going to map the journey from point A to B? And then also vice versa, what is B? What, what are you trying to aspire to? What is your dream job? Or, you know, what, what are your, your career aspirations? Interesting thing from neuro-linguistic programming, if you don't reflect in the moment, memories become generalized, deleted or distorted. And again, I take your point on board. If you're only doing that at the end of your degree, even then trying to reflect back, it's generalized, distorted or deleted. Um, and so you're losing the depth of that. So, yeah, definitely. I, I think also probably coming back to your skills discussion, I, I would imagine as a result of COVID, there's probably been a bigger emphasis on adaptability and resilience, would you think? Yeah, I think, you know, those those terms have been thrown around quite a bit. And I actually was I was having a conversation yesterday with a colleague, even just around the term like resilient. And, and is that is that an appropriate term to to say that we want our students to be resilient it's like i don't know and and not to kind of go down that tangent on this show but it, it is interesting to think about what this cohort of students has been through already especially if they started you know in the last two years if they started post-secondary or even if they had started the year before now they've gone through like multiple in-person virtual in-person virtual and the the impact it has, yeah, on where they see themselves when they're when they're done that part of their 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 that chapter, I guess, of their journey kind of thing is how how does this all fit in? How does it make them, you know, more more of a rounded individual? How, where do they see them fitting into society or or you know the world of work, if you want to call it that? It's I, I think what what I've the the adaptability piece. I always see in students almost more than I see like in, in myself or in colleagues because they just they just kind of roll with it. Right. And it's this is where, you know, there's always been that narrative like, oh, well, students are better. You know, the younger generation is better with technology. And and I've seen times where that's not the case. They have technology and they have access to it. Doesn't mean they know necessarily how to use it the most effective. Like you look at email, right? Like email for a generation, it's it's not their primary means of communication but for us it's like that that's our bread and butter um but where i'm going with that is you know with with the transition to online learning you saw the skills and the strengths really come out for a, a certain set of students now there's definitely the other side that that type of learning you know is not effective for for a good chunk of students access to technology is obviously another barrier that becomes uh, relevant now that if everything is online, but if you don't have, if you live in a, a rural area or somewhere doesn't have strong internet or you just don't have the means uh, or access to it, creates different challenges 
uh, for sure. But I think as we look into as far as where it's going with the world of of work, you're starting to see the barrier that was maybe geographical in nature of relocation or moving starting to disappear because now students can work well not students but anybody can almost work anywhere in the world from their living room you know obviously there's jobs that that doesn't apply to and i'm not trying to generalize it in that sense uh, but it certainly has grown immensely in the last you know three years and you know you're talking about the change of the of the job role and again one of the emerging themes uh again you know working from home all these kind of things of course just across uh, the pond from you not across the pond across the river from you in america they've had the greatest resignation on history uh, they're calling it the great escape i literally picked up an article this week written by the conversation.com in the uk um, referring to our own unique labor changes here they're calling it the silver escape so we have the highest movement of unemployment among the 50 plus than we've ever had ever on record. Now, again, you know, a, a lot of this is, is at lower skilled levels, but nonetheless, you've got a massive gap that's appearing um, from this, which needs to be filled by younger generations. There may be uh, impact in terms of leadership. So again, you know, a, a really um, unsettled labor market uh, that again, you know, how do we prepare our students to be work ready plus in all of these kind of changes? Yeah, and it's it's a challenge. You look at you know those those industries and those types of roles that are now becoming vacant, and you know we have we have a, a somewhat strong in manufacturing and and production you know presence in the Niagara region. Um, obviously, like the canal system being quite prevalent for those familiar kind of with the the canal that connects Lake Ontario and Lake Erie. Um, but, but similar types of employers, kind of the industrial nature uh, organizations are are struggling quite heavily to get entry level because they've lost what they had. And you look at young young students or, or talent, they're not looking at those types of roles. It's not, not jobs that they're necessarily interested in the way they're currently being presented. So it's, you know, do the roles change? is it's and it's not just compensation and i think that's well documented you know in the world of of hr and and the like that that's not top priority for for this generation at all so it's it's difficult and i think it's you know it's going to be really interesting to see what the, the way that landscapes change in in the coming years as far as you know the types of industries that are most prevalent in certain areas and if we do see changes there very interesting, and that's an interesting one about what young people would aspire to in terms of uh, work roles and whether whether present society fits that. Um, the, the other thing I wanted to pick up on, on with you as well, again, you know, using this uh, term soft skills, uh, oh, careful, he's, uh, he's twitching, um, is, to, is to think about the, the behavioral aspect. Uh, again, you know, in the context where I work, there's a big emphasis on knowledge. There's a good, you know, dimension around skills, but nobody really knows how to pick up on the behavioral element. Um, a recent publication uh, from Australia, the Assen Group, uh, I, I, one of the chapters um, made me aware of the, the 461 learning model. Don't know if you've come across it. Uh, I'm sure if the listeners Google it, it will come up. So it's about learning dispositions, the 461 model. And what I like about it, uh, and I've actually incorporated into a, a module that I'm teaching, is this emphasis on behavior. Uh, habits, habits of heart and habits of hands. 
Uh, and how, how do we engage with this kind of behavioral, the professional skills, um, the values, the emotional intelligence? So I, I want to come back to your service learning opportunities. Um, do you think service learning in terms of work integrated learning actually more naturally enables a more focus, a, a reflection on learning dispositions, behavior? I think it depends on the learner, right, as whether it's more natural for them or, or not and, and doing it. And, and I know you being in a business school as well. Like I remember starting a, I remember start being a student doing my, my MBA. And that's kind of when I was first exposed because they were doing it at the time to that type of learning. Um, and I remember colleague who became a colleague of mine coming in when I was a student in that class and kind of pitching this, it was an optional kind of project. And at the time thinking like, no way, like there's no chance I'm, I'm going to take this up. I was working full time, you know, I was doing my my degree part time and it's like, no, it's doesn't seem like it's for me. And I think like a handful, like four students joined, like formed a group and they did this optional project. And then I, I started, I watched them present on it afterwards. And I thought like, yeah, I missed the boat there. Like I, I should have done that because whatever the, the textbook assignment that I did as an alternative, yeah, I didn't take too much away from that other than whatever the, I don't remember what, what the, it was about at the time. That's how effective it was. But I remember listening to them, like they worked with a, like a, a local hotel, something to do with their operations and their, their system, like their POS system. I was like, oh yeah, okay. I see that. Then I started to see it more and then it stopped being optional. And now it was like, oh, you're just going to do this as part of your course. And then, you know, obviously once I started working in it um, and, and cultivating those projects myself and, and working with the community, that's when the the switch, at least for me, you know, it had already flipped, but I started seeing it in students and being able to explain to students in a business school. And I think in, in business education, I think I was talking to, it was an accounting professor and, you know, accounting education is very much the same as it has been since we started teaching accounting and you create very kind of passive learners here's the theory here's what you do here's the rules of accounting and i'm not an accountant by any means but it's like yeah it's it's cut and dry this is what you do and they they integrated one of these projects it was a managerial kind of accounting so a little bit more flexibility than you know pure financial accounting and uh for for that professor they even kind of had a moment where they're like we've been teaching kids wrong like we've we've created these very passive learners. So I think this was a third or a fourth year course. By the time they get to this point, it's too tough to break that. That And so now everyone's uncomfortable. They don't like it. Where Like, where's the test? How do I get the right answer? And that just kind of keeps perpetuating itself in their minds. And you have to really break that for it to become back to your phrasing of a more natural way of learning the skills. And that's kind of the approach that we took, especially if until we were able to get to the point where we were putting this into first year courses and second year courses so students could kind of grow with the pro so the projects got bigger as they went through their degree. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think for us, it was being able to work with other people because the minute you step outside your instant, the minute you get that piece of paper and cross the stage and get a job, you're working as part of a team, right? You're not very rarely, maybe you start your own business and you're one single person that operates on an island. But even then, I guarantee you, you're having conversations with distributors or suppliers, something. 
Um, so you learn how to work with other people that think differently than you, that work differently than you. And you're doing this work for someone who needs it, which then, okay, that provides the motivation in the sense of you're not just doing an assignment out of a book. You're not just, you know, doing a case that has, that was written X number of years ago, but nobody actually sees your, what you've come up with other than, you know, maybe your instructor or your professor. This is someone's taking your report and taking it back to what, you know, maybe their board or their director or their employees and they're implementing it or implementing parts of it. And I think as a student to be able to say, like, I was able to impact that that business, that organization in any number of ways, whether they're small or large, it creates that meaning. And then I think that's where they can start to see how do I fit? Like, where does this fit into what my passions are? Is this a field I want to go into? Or is it a field that, yeah, I did this, but I don't ever want to do, you know, marketing again. Like, it, and that's just as valuable. And, and we we just tell our students that, like, use it as that learning experience. So those are kind of the two takeaways that we really tried to, you know, hammer home of working with others and having meaning in what you're doing in your courses and then trying to help pull the skills out along the way. I love it. I love it. There, there is an, an author here in the UK called Jennifer Moon who writes around reflection and transformative learning. And her model is, is really nice and it picks up on what you're saying. She starts off by saying noticing, right? Noticing people don't do things my way. Noticing that people do things differently and noticing what that, that you know, those differences and, and what it could cause. She then moves on to step two, which is making sense. So is that right? Is that wrong? You make sense of this. Uh, but then this is the bit to deep learning. She said, then, then you make meaning. Do I adjust? Do they adjust? Do we adjust? And then you work with that meaning, which means the habits, the dispositions could be challenged. Your own assumptions about, oh, I've never worked with these kind of people and I thought that they may react this way or be this kind, but actually they're really nice. Oh, hang on, did I just say that out loud? Where did that come from? And, and so you're interrogating these inner assumptions that you hold, which then leads to transformative learning. I love service learning. I, I think particularly exposing people to context um, or environments that would be out of the normal, um, you know, deprived communities or something like that. It really does challenge. Uh, and it brings a lot of stuff to the surface in terms of your own values and, and things like that. And, and I would love to see more of it in universities, to be honest. Yeah, and it's, it's you know, you, you, ever, you talk about it and you talk to other people that do it, but until you see some of those transformative or you know true like deep deep learning i remember we have we have a strong international student um part of our, our graduate program our mba program at, at goodman and we we had a i think it was an organizational behavior type course intro level and our the the partner that we were working with was a, a women's shelter in in niagara and for a lot of the students who came from different countries it, that that concept was not familiar to them like it, it wasn't something that they had ever seen in their home country or really engaged with. And so, you know, they're, they're sitting there listening and and they started talking like, you know, a couple had asked like, oh, like, can we because it was about the employees of the shelter, not the not the women going there. You know, can we come and talk to some employees? And like right away, the director said, please do not come near our building. 
randomly, like because the police will be called because if if you're a male a pro, who's not expected there and is approaching, they that's their that's their protocol. And to see like the faces of students immediately realizing like, whoa, this is like I have no idea what this is. And now I need to learn about it and and really see how I can impact the people that work there. Yeah, that was kind of one that really like you think back, okay, like we've I've done all these projects with all these partners and some stick out. That's one that definitely sticks out. Wow. Um we could carry on and on and on, but I know that we've got we've got a session plan where I'm gonna be on your podcast. Um it it's really great just to I guess in some ways to start a conversation with you, Dan. It it's been absolutely brilliant. I know and I think one of the things we're gonna try and do is is kind of have a post match discussion. Once the unconference is finished, you know, compare notes and, and have this this kind of post match analysis. Uh, and I look forward to having that conversation with you. So thank you again. I appreciate you taking out the time and uh, staying awake uh, and being able to share with us your experiences and the things that you've been going through. So thank you so much for being part of, of today's podcast. No, thank, thanks a lot, Trevor, for having me on. It's been good. My, my show has been a little bit of a hiatus just since I've been off. So I'm, I'm referring to it as that was the end of season one um of into the wilderness there and when we come back we'll launch season two so looking forward to yeah having you uh on on our show and and looking forward to the unconference as well and just connecting with with other people and i think that's you know as far as the work that that we all do that's how you learn and and you know you learn about what people have tried and, and more importantly what they've tried that hasn't worked um and what they've done differently since then that's always my favorite thing to to talk to other people about so um, thanks again, yeah, for for having me on and and great chatting with you. Excellent, and 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 listeners, as always, we will put all the links in the description of this podcast uh, so that you can find into the wilderness uh, and all the other kind of information that we've mentioned around the university uh, and the business school as well. So thanks again. Uh, see you next time, listeners. Bye for now. You've been listening to the doctor, and he just dissected the intersection between work and learning. Thank you.